So we use science to better know the world. I would know this. I'm the host of PsyQ, the science show on the Young Turks Network. But is true knowledge of the world even possible? Is there an absolute reality that we all experience or is there only our version of reality that's a little bit colored by our own perspectives and our own definition of consciousness? Joining us to answer these questions, we have two, joining our two academics to answer these questions, we've invited two artists who really thought deeply about the questions of consciousness. So our first guest of the night, Grammy-nominated musician, writer, poet, philosopher, and host of the podcast, What Does It All Mean? Mr. Mike Posner. Mike, thanks for coming. And returning to the stage, Mr. Baba Brinkman. So tell us a little bit about consciousness. Is, it, is there a real way to know the world? Or are we just all interpreting things through our own set of glasses? Is it possible to have a real truth at all? Well, I, I think Bob introduced it nicely with your rap. I mean, this is what we do. We predict in part what's coming. And to a certain extent, evolution didn't design us to, to represent in our brains a perfect map of reality, but close enough to survive. And so I think that's where it begins. Yeah, I would say one of the things that inspires me about the scientific view of consciousness is that it's got a humility to it, which it, it, it's about our cognitive biases and our blind spots and the places where our brains seem to be built to make mistakes. And when you understand those contours, you can begin to understand how close we can approach reality. But I don't think scientists are in the business of claiming absolute certainty about anything. I think they're in the business of claiming relatively very strong certainty compared to alternative hypotheses. And I would say it's more religion's business to claim absolute certainty. Uh, which is a strength of science, in my view. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mike, um, we have something in common. I, I, I listened to your uh, podcast about your father. And I lost my father when I was a young man, roughly about your age. And, and, and it does have a profound experience. So um, I, I'd like to know, what you have a podcast. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? Well, when I was 22, I feel really blessed and grateful I, I attained a lot of worldly success. I came into a lot of money, maybe more than I deserved. I was popular. I was parading around the world, taking my shirt off at concerts. And uh, what I realized was that I uh, overwhelmingly felt the same. And not really worse, but not really better either. And I had spent the, the first 25, 22 years of my life garnering all the success because I thought it was going to make me feel better, but it, it didn't. So I began asking the question, if not that, then what? And, and, and I'm privileged to be able to ask that question, right? Because, um, you know, a lot of people have responsibility. So, you know, I can do weird things and weird experiments on myself and, and see what happens and if I stumble upon any insight. Well, I, I wish I had that problem of having too much money. But... <laughs> I have to say that, you know, that there's a huge body of literature on happiness over the last uh, 15 years or so because psychology was always focused on the negative for the last century. So there's all this positive psychology. And then there was the discovery that, you know, above a certain level of income, you don't get any happier. You, it, it sort of helps if you can have three square meals a day and a roof right. over your head. And so, but after a certain level, 
something else has to happen, something meaningful or something like that. So what, what was it for you? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't claim to have cracked the code. Uh, I, was, I was talking to Deepak backstage, and he said to me that something I've been thinking about, which was, a happy mind is overrated. And he said it, right. uh, having peace is more important. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's really interesting because usually we try to attain peace or equanimity by perfecting the circumstances around us, outside of us. And if we can just get them just right and we change this car to this one and this girl for this one, and maybe, maybe it'll like work. But it's very counterintuitive when you stop and do nothing and maybe just sit there and like focus on your breath like in meditation and you somehow sometimes just feel better. You mean if I get way. the new Tesla Model X, that's not going to do it ultimately forever and ever? It, it'll, do it, it'll do it for about six months. Six months. Yeah. Okay, well, then I can trade six, up. Six months is pretty good, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of this research on, uh, on trumping happiness with meaningfulness is doing stuff you don't actually like to do. It's not fun. Uh, taking care of your parents that are you know, elderly. I've done that twice. Very uh, exhausting. Even just like going for bike rides, which I do uh, every day for a couple hours with these hardcore racers. It's not fun. I'm not having any fun at all. It doesn't make me happy. It's a suffer fest. But later, I'm really happy I did it. So there's something about Deepak, about challenging or, or pushing ourselves somehow that brings meaningfulness. What, what is that from your perspective? Well, the question was about truth, and um, my position is that no system of thought, science is a method of inquiry, a very useful method yeah. of inquiry, but it's a system of thought. So is theology, so is philosophy, so is religion. My position is no system of thought can give you access to reality. It can create a model of reality, but it cannot give you access to reality. To get access to reality, you have to transcend thought. I like to quote Rumi when he says God's language. I know you don't like the word God, so let's call it whatever. Uh, X. But X. Call, it, call it God. Okay. <laughs> God's language is silence. Everything else is poor translation. So I'd like to ask everybody right now one question and would you answer yes to it, please? Agree? <laughs> it's simple. Are you aware? Okay, a little more enthusiastic. <laughs> Are you aware? Okay, now I'm going to ask you the same question, but don't answer it till I raise my hand. Okay? Are you aware? So are you aware is a thought. The answer yes is a thought. You're not the thought. You're the awareness in which the thought arises and subsides. So this time, when I ask you, are you aware, just turn to being aware. Nothing else. Are you aware? That stillness is the only reality. Because in that, our Thoughts arising and subsiding, perceptions arising and subsiding, sensations, every experience. It's the only common factor in every experience. And all experience is just those few things that I mentioned. 
sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, perceptions, which are modulations, activations, fluctuation, whatever you want to call it, activities of awareness. There is nothing other than awareness. But, but again, that's kind of true by definition. Baba, what do you make of that? I mean, it's, there, is it more than that? Well, I, I, I was just going to jump back to what um, Deepak started with, which is that no system of thought can allow us to understand reality. Um, I would say there are systems of thought that can allow us to understand reality better, perhaps not absolutely, but um, our desires, the desires that we f feel are unfulfilled or that trick us into thinking we will be happy when we reach them and it turns out we're not, um, can seem utterly mysterious and baffling to us unless we have the evolutionary perspective. And evolution can show us what built the desires into us in the first place, what they helped our ancestors to accomplish, how they're mismatched with the modern environment that we're in, and how they're actually designed to go off a little bit too quickly and to mislead us. Evolution doesn't design an organism that perceives reality accurately. It designs an organism that perceives reality adaptively. And if misconceptions can improve our chances of surviving and reproducing, then they will be built into the perception of the organism, in this case us, for me, understanding that that's where the desire comes from, for the car or the girl or the donut or whatever, um, you know, that doesn't allow me to, on its own, transcend, but at least I'm not in a state of sort of agitated confusion about why I feel that way. And I think that is actually a step towards rising above, maybe achieving something like the equanimity or um, non-attachment that some uh, spiritual traditions are trying to teach, in my view, the understanding helps you take a closer step to that. Uh, so you believe that Darwinian evolution will help you to become more peaceful, loving, compassionate, empathetic, will give you the insight into insight, inspiration, intuition, well, choice-making, uh, fulfillment of your dreams. He wants uh, everything. Or do you, think, uh, <laughs> do you think evolution itself is a model that we are a species of consciousness and what we call evolution could be the evolution of species of consciousness. Your body is not the container of awareness. It's an experience in awareness. Speaking of awareness, I have a question for <laughs> Mike Posner. You talked about truth and pointing at the moon. Could you tell me what you said? Yeah, it, it's yeah, perfect timing. Let me talk, yeah? Uh, <laughs> No, but it, it's, it's really interesting. We're, we're, we're chatting about language backstage. And, and if, if we can't experience absolute truth through thought, how does language factor into that? So, you know, when I, I love the quote, your words are just fingers pointing at the moon. They are not the moon. Right? And this, I mean, it's this kind of the same way what you're saying about thought. Your thoughts are just fingers pointing at the moon. They are not thoughts. And, and language is a system that's set up to communicate through differentiation, right? Like what Deepak did the example before, like, you know this is my hand because it's not my leg, right? And the word hand makes it a hand. Otherwise, as he says, it's a shape and a color. It's an experience. It's an experience. So is there a way to be outside of language for a human? Is yes. there a way to be outside do be, of do be do. And what do you mean by that, though? Culture, I'm asking because I want to know. Our, our culture is based on doing, 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 or thinking, 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 feeling, 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 but there's no being. So being is the fundamental ontological primitive from where feeling emerges, 
reflection and thinking, perception, speech, and then doing.